Gardens. Gardening, boutique, framing, home decor, and your local garden experts. Sunday mornings, it's Standard Time with Ann Roten here on News Talk 1400 WDWS Champaign-Urbana. It's time for Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk on News Talk 1400 WDWS Champaign-Urbana where we talk all things Illini along with other area national sports. Join the program by calling 217-356-9397 or send a text to the Castle Heating and Cooling text line 217-351-5357. You can also email us at talk at WDWS.com. Now, here are your hosts, Lauren Tate and Steve Kelly. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk with you until 11 o'clock today. Phone line is indeed open, 356-9397. Mr. Tate is in the house. How you doing, bud? Good, good. Ready to rock and roll for a couple hours? I hope so. We'll do that. We've got uh, four guests lined up for you. Adam Rittenberg coming up at 930 Will Leach at 10 o'clock, Derek Harper at 10.30. Plenty of time for an open line around those guests. We're going to start things off with Rich Hyde, who is with us from Champaign. Good morning, Rich. How are you? Doing okay. Doing good. Just wanted to check in with you. Um, sorry to hear the news this week about the passing of your father, uh, Dick Hyde, 91 years old. Uh, I know this is a busy time for you and your family, but uh, Laura and I wanted to pass along our our thoughts and prayers to you and your family, and just kind of reminisce a little bit about your dad and uh, the career he had, a short career in Major League Baseball, but uh, a pretty good career as well. And you never had a chance to see him pitch, I, I know, but uh, just talk a little bit about Dick. Well, yeah, I never, uh, you know, he was out of baseball uh, about eight years before I was born, and so I didn't get a chance to see him pitch. But, um, you know, we all heard the stories, and uh, and I, I think I – was one guy I really kind of learned about him from baseball cards <laughs> and uh, so he had some baseball cards but um, you know he had a good uh, good run of it for a, he had a really good year in 1958 was his kind of his breakout year he won the sophomore year award that year and um, I think it was 10 and three with like a 1.70 ERA and uh, you know he uh, he made the most out of what he had he was a submarine pitcher and um, playing for Washington Senators and, and then later with the Orioles um, but uh, he broke in in like 1955 and uh, and had that good year and I think it uh, allowed him to pitch a few more years in the big leagues and an arm injury kind of uh, dismantled that towards the end. But uh, you know it's really great to hear all the stories and the things that he would tell me about you know facing Mickey Mantle and Williams and the Yankees of those time and so uh, I I just am so blessed uh, to you know have a dad that was a, a big league ball player. Well, Rich, this is Lauren. Tell us how he de- evolved into a into a uh, submarine pitcher because he really was. That wasn't the way. I mean, when he grew up at, at Champaign High School, he didn't he didn't throw that way. I mean, how did it evolve? Well, I think he was having you know struggling a little bit in the minor leagues, and uh, one of the guys, and I think he's playing in Chattanooga, said, "Hey, you should drop try dropping down." And then uh, Griffith actually, I remember a little bit about. That said hey he came to spring training once and said hey you should try to go a little bit lower and uh so he kept getting as low as he could uh so i think the ground might have stopped him but um and that allowed him to learn how to sink the ball and um 
once he learned to throw strikes from down there, uh, you know, he was pretty uh, awkward guy to hit off of. And um, and then he was able to get his change up and his, cur- uh, his curveball over, and that really made the difference and allowing him to, to make it to the big leagues and then stay there for a while. Now, he attended the, the University of Illinois briefly, and then I think he had a couple of years in the Army, didn't he? Yeah, he went to, uh, he went to the Army in 51 and 52, and uh, so he lost a few years uh, you know, on baseball from that. But when he got out, he went back to the minor leagues. And, you know, so he, he was proud of his Army time. Uh, you know, I don't know if that delayed things. Uh, obviously, a lot of guys during that time did, but uh, it did. And so, um, you know, yeah, he spent a couple years there and then, he was in the minor leagues and then went to the Army for two years and then went back to the minor league. Do you know if he pitched in the minor leagues? I mean, Willie Mays pitched in the, I mean, played outfield in, in service. Do you, do you think he – did he uh, – before he went to the minors, do you think he pitched in the, in, in the Army? Yeah, he did. Uh, I think he told – you know, he, they had a lot of baseball during those times in, in the Army. And uh, he I think he was in Camp Gordon down in Georgia and uh, – I remember him telling me a story that he, you know, they had him pitching. He threw my, I don't know how many pitches he threw, but he's really, you know, injured his arm a little bit during that time, and he was worried. But uh, I think he pitched quite a bit. I know he was, um, they had teams, and he played and uh, down in Georgia and around in, in the two years that he was there. Talking to Rich Hyde for a few more minutes. Uh, Rich, uh, a pitcher yourself, you pitched at Centennial and the U of I. Did your dad ever try to, to convince you to go to that uh sidearm uh, submarine pitch no he never you know he, actually i thought about trying that and he said no don't do that <laughs> and i <laughs> i don't know why but you know so i think he thought you know my arm slot was better at three quarters length uh, that that arm slot and so i did one time uh, when i was towards the end of my uh, time with the giants organization i asked him as i thought i was i was scuffing a little bit and you know you try to find something that makes you uh, different or it's, you stand out from others, and I said, "Hey, Dad, can you come try to teach me some things about dropping down?" And uh, and he did, but it, you know, I, it never stuck with me. So uh, he he actually discouraged me from going down there unless I really needed to. Well, uh, Rich, tell us what today consists of. Well, uh, we're we're headed actually to the to the funeral home at Morgan, and, uh, and then out to the cemetery. And you know, with the COVID thing, it's really difficult because. They limit you to ten people at uh, at both places, and so um, that's uh, that's been a struggle actually through the whole this whole um, you know process. Uh, but we're hoping to have you know when this is all over with, get back to uh, and have a celebration of life somewhere down the road, maybe centered around I don't know. Hopefully, baseball gets started again, and we can all enjoy that. And um, and so if I can get a chance to visit with his with friends and and, the other, and more family than we just have today. What was uh, Dick's favorite baseball team, major league team? Well, you know, um, I think growing up he was a Cub fan because he liked to watch the Cubs. And But uh, the last few years he, we got him some Washington national stuff, and he really kind of took a liking to that. I think, you know, the connection between the Senators and this, the, the, the Washington nationals. He loved watching Steven Strasburg pitch. Uh, and so whenever that guy was pitching, he would he would turn in and tune in. And, and my mom got the MLB network so he could watch the Nationals games. And uh, and we had a really good time the last uh, in October watching uh, watching the Nationals win the World Series. He was still, you know, he had dementia and Alzheimer's, but we could still enjoy a game together. And 
it, that was a, a really special time for me and, and for him as well. You know, the the Senators, when he played for them, they were really bad. That one year he won 10 and saved 19. Right. <laughs> they have, it was, that's 29 right there. Did they have many more wins than that? I mean, he, he, was, he was the main guy for them that year, wasn't he? Yeah, he was, and they used him in different roles. And, uh, you know, I think that year he's, you know, he was in so many ball games, and, and part of that, you know, the success that year, he, not only getting up and warming up and then maybe not going into the game, that really, uh, all that, that work, I think, kind of hurt him in the next years after that. He really pitched him down. But for that year, he was really had a good success. And, you know, I, I read clippings, and, you know, the Yankees were interested in him, and, uh, and he actually got traded the next year to, to the Red Sox for about four days, and then, he failed a physical, and they sent him back. So, um, but yeah, that year was a special year. I think the Senators uh, had pretty good success against the Yankees. I know he only gave up one home run. I think in that year. Is that right? Is the, you know, when you're yeah, yeah, you know, he, with that ball sinking, it's tough to, to elevate it. And yeah. uh, I know that. Uh, I know he. I think Mantle hit a home run off him. I'm not sure if that was that year or not. But um, yeah, he had pretty good success against them for for a little bit. He. He would always tell me a story that he really knew he arrived to the big leagues when he came jogging in from the bullpen in Yankee Stadium. And, and you see Mantle and all them guys over there, and you're going to have to <laughs> Well, he yeah. finished ahead of Yogi and Kaline in the MVP voting that year, number 12, and that's pretty good for a pitcher, particularly a pitcher yeah. on a bad team. Yeah, you know, and that's that's a you know, yeah, testament to the season that he had. And, uh, you know, he he was a – was one of the better relievers in the in the major leagues that year and uh you know baseball was different back then you didn't really have closers although they were existed but it was you might go in the fifth inning you might go in the eighth or ninth it just depending when the manager wants you to come in the game so did he, uh, did he start some that year he might have i know he started a few games in the big leagues but i'm not sure if it was in that year or not okay another minute or two with yeah, rich he, hyde uh rich you played 15 years yourself in uh, pro baseball um, give us a, an update of what you're doing now. Are you still involved in baseball at any level? Well, I've, uh, I would, the last two years I've gone out to Parkland and helped with their uh, pitchers and kind of just be the guy just to enjoy being on the bench and talk with their hitters and players and pitchers. And so um, I've, I've been doing that. And I have a son that's 11, and I coach uh, his team. Um, and so, uh, you know, I just really haven't got an official role at anything, which is okay. I just – still want to stay kind of connected to the game and uh parkland's uh, coach out there i'm good friends with and he's allowed me to come out and just uh kind of be just a little guy that wanders around and enjoys being around baseball players and share some knowledge when i can how many years were you associated with centennial well i was there for four years uh and then uh i i left my wife uh went to start her career as a surgical tech and so uh, i had four kids at that time and i just the demands of it, you know, I wanted to spend a little more time with, with my kids and with her starting a new job. It just was time to, do, you know, let them do their things and me step away from baseball for a while. Well, I just want to say I thought Dick was a great guy, and I sure enjoyed my time and my uh, meetings with him, and we always had fun talking about pitching, and, you know, I just uh, love to talk to him, and I, I'm sorry to see him go, but at 91 he ha- had a great life, and he had a year like uh, – Almost nobody in the history of Champaign-Urbana has had a year like that in the major leagues. Now, Matt Hurgis has had a longer career, but did he ever have one year like he, that? Matt Hurgis was 11-3 and three 
with the Dodgers in 2000. Uh-huh. And he had four starts. Yeah. yeah. His only four starts in yeah. game that year. So he had a similar kind of year. That's right. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm probably exaggerating, but I mean. Yeah, he played 11 years. But 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 10 wins and 19 saves yeah. is about <laughs> for one year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was a good year. And, you know, and I had the fortune to, to play with Matt and, and uh, in high school. And so we have that connection. And, uh, you know, Matt got a chance to pitch in a World Series with the Rockies, I believe. And he's had a long, successful career as a, as a player and as a coach as well. So um, it's good. You know, we've had some good baseball players come through of Champagne, and then I'm fortunate enough to be the son of one and a friend of the other one. So, Hey, Rich, we appreciate your time. Um, uh, have a good day today. We're thinking about you and your family, and thanks for taking time to talk to us. I appreciate it very much, guys. Thanks for, thanks for having me on. You thanks, bet. Rich. That's Rich Hyde with mm-hmm. us on Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. 913 is the time. The phone line is open, 356-9397. Matt Hurgis, by the way, is now the pitching coach for the Diamondbacks. And uh, he's itching to get to work, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> or get back to work, as it were. Uh, he played 11 years in the majors, won 43 games, lost 35. Played from 1999 to 2009. Played three years with Colorado, three years with the Giants, three years with the Dodgers, and one year each with Arizona, San Diego, Montreal, Florida, and Cleveland. <laughs> so he got he bounced around, around, didn't he? He did. But you and I were talking this week when we heard about the, the passing of Dick Hyde about champagne-based yeah. major leaguers. There was a player back in the early uh, century, you know, back in early 1900s, by the name of Big Jeff Peffer. Big Peffer. P-F-E-F-F-E-R. And I, and I, say, I say Big Jeff. There was, a Je- there was a Jeff and there was a Big Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> and there was also a Big Joe that I knew from Monticello. And these guys were from Seymour. I mean, they were from here, the region. And one of them attended Champaign High School. And so if you really want to go far back, there was a pretty good pitcher way back there from Champaign. But, you know, really, I, I, and I looked up all the players from the, from the state of Illinois. It's a, it's a long, it took me a long time to do it yesterday just to go through. The, I had fun going through there. But uh, there are more players, for instance, from Decatur than, and, and just a million from Chicago and not many from Champaign. Not many. Just a couple. Just a few. Some other news items on this Saturday morning as we get going. Illinois got uh, Illinois basketball got a verbal commit uh, last night from Luke Goody out of uh, Fort Wayne, Indiana. He's a six foot six shooting guard, averaged eighteen points, seven rebounds, three assists uh, per game. His uh, junior year, he's got another year of high school, and um, looks like a pretty good get. Well, I think this does an awful lot to de- demonstrate that Illinois under Brad Underwood is making, is building its reputation to a new level because, let's face it, there's there's a uh, pecking order in basketball. There's a reason why all the one-on-one, one-and-dones go to Kentucky and Duke. I mean, there's, there's a pecking order. And certain types of players go to certain types of schools. And uh, we see, you know, Kansas will be there forever. They're, they're just, uh, that's one of the first places that, Student athletes look, but this is a case of taking a guy. Now he isn't here yet, okay? But out of Indiana, I mean, the last guy we had, uh, of course, once upon a time we had Mike Price out in Indianapolis, and he played all four years. I mean, three years in which he was eligible and wasn't eligible then as a freshman. But uh, Hafner came, 
uh, I, I forget where he's from, Noblesville or someplace. And I, and uh, Hafner only stayed here a couple of years, and then he uh, transferred. So and and, and then Jalen Coleman lands. Jalen Coleman lands was yes, he, yeah. He was from a prep school in Laporte. Yeah. And then we had Bob Windmiller, who was uh, recruited by Harv Schmidt, who was here, and he was a baseball player, good left-handed hitter, as I recall, and and uh, and uh, a very good guard. Although he was never a star guard, he was a, he was a good, solid uh, member of the team. And but I, it's a terrible thing, and I could go all the way back to Wukovitz, who played for the Whiskeys. But it's a terrible thing when 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 we just named all the Indiana players that played for Illinois. We also had a guy from uh, Christmas Attics who was here for a year or two. But I'm just saying that the guy, the number of Illinois basketball players who have gone four years, who have gone, to, and, and and I'm not talking about going to the pros. I mean these guys just. Hafner just transferred out. I mean, there were guys that just left, but there's only been a very few uh, that that stayed the whole time. Luke Goody picked Illinois over Louisville, Marquette, Michigan State, Maryland, Butler, and Xavier, among others on his list of folks that recruited him. Yeah, I think uh, Gentry came in here, you yep. know, uh, and and as an assistant coach, and was has has been right on top of him the whole time, and so this. Uh, this is a, we have to credit Gentry for this uh, recruitment and also Underwood, obviously. And this is something that they pulled off without the ability to get him back over here. I mean, he's been here, visited, but, I, but uh, you know, uh, it, it's hard to recruit under these circumstances, especially with juniors. Other news, Adam Miller was named Illinois Mr. Basketball yesterday. The Chicago Tribune does that. A little spoiler alert, perhaps or maybe a tease to get you to buy the News Gazette tomorrow. Adam Miller will be named the News Gazette Player of the Year as well. So he's now got the Gatorade. Yeah, Gatorade two years in a row. Yeah, Gatorade, Illinois Player of the Year, Mr. Basketball, and the News Gazette uh, All-State Player of the Year. Finished second to uh, Stewart uh, with the uh, Sun Times. Well, he was, on the, he was on the top five, but he had, but Stewart won the – there was some talk that he wasn't runner-up, but I, I don't know about the how that worked, but – Joe Hendrickson, who we had on here a couple of weeks ago, or was that last week or the week before we had him on, Steve, and he, he talked about it. He, I think it's it's arguable whether Stewart or Miller is a better player. I mean, they're very, 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 very close. I mean, he won by two votes uh, for the Tribune Mr. Basketball Award, so um, it was close vote there. And Stewart going to Duke, of course, he's got a uh, – obviously, if he's being recruited by Duke, he's a good player. You can take a break. We'll do that here on – Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. We're moving up on 919. The phone line is open. We'd love to hear from you. Got an open line segment coming up after this. Now at NewsGazette.com, Inside Illini Basketball, our weekly podcast with beat writer Scott Ritchie, who will tell you all about five-star center Musa Sisa. Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk continues here on News Talk 1400 DWS. At 921, phone line is open, 356-9397. Steve Kelly and Lauren Tate with you, and Mike in Champaign. Hey, Mike, you're on the air. Go ahead. Hey, good morning, guys. Uh, yeah, my highlight in baseball, uh, Dick Hyde uh, helped coach our uh, Beirut League team uh, back in the early 60s, and Bobby Shaplin was on our team, and Bruce Elliott, and uh, I was a catcher, and so... Dick would pitch batting practice to us. And, okay. And that ball just jumped off his hands. Is that right? Was, 
Yeah, it was so neat. And uh, as a matter of fact, uh, Rich, his son, coached my youngest son out at Muhammad. And uh, and, and uh, so catching Dick and then uh, uh, Lee Eilbrock brought Kenny Holtzman over to pitch to us because we were going to face um, oh, the guy from Springfield, big left-hander, played at Kansas, basketball at Kansas. Robish, no, Robish, yeah. Dave Robish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Lee brought uh, Kenny Holtzman over to pitch uh, some batting practice to us, and I got to catch him. So that was the highlight. And then uh, my oldest son, Jeff, pitched to Illinois for itch. And uh, so those are the three guys that I immortalized in my catching career. <laughs> well, he was he was an amazing guy. You know, uh, I hate to bring this up, but he played in the I League, according to Fred Croner, at the same time I same did. Time you did. <laughs> that would have been a pitching duel there. You know, well, no, I wasn't pitching in those days. I was I was just out of out of high school. In fact, I was still in high school, and um, we played for Seymour. And Emil Hess was our right fielder. Can you believe that? <laughs> that had been nineteen, oh my gosh. yeah, nineteen forty eight, nineteen forty nine, right in there. And and uh, <laughs> I and and I'm told that. That uh, Dick Hyde was in the in the in the I League one of those years, but I don't honestly remember him because, you know, he was just another guy right. <laughs> at that time. Yeah, he probably was awfully well, good. Had, you know, we we lost at Seymour. We lost every week to anybody. It didn't matter who we played. We yeah. lost. Yeah, these guys just you know didn't win the big money time, and so they had to get winter jobs when they came home. And he worked for Illinois Power. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, just really a good guy, and uh, him and his son Rich just really enjoyed him. Well, right, I huh? I've never heard a guy that fought as hard as he did to get into the professional baseball. He tried out. Yeah. He tried out this year, and they said no. He tried out the next year, and they said no. They tried out the next year, and they sent him home. And then they had an opening on a D League team. This is like the third year that he tried out. I was at one of those tryout camps, by the way. Maybe it was Cincinnati put him on. And, you know, they'd have 50 guys run out there and you'd hit you a couple of ground balls and they'd just say, you're too skinny, get out of here. You know, they'd, keep, they'd maybe keep one or two guys out of uh, all the tryouts. And then even if they did keep anybody, you'd be in the lowest minor league that you could be. But uh, I, I remember those camps and, and I remember being rejected. <laughs> it was fun times. Thanks a lot, guys. Yep, thanks, Thank Mike, you. for the call. We appreciate it. Let's go to Steve calling in from Princeton this morning. Hey, Steve. Yes, this one's for Lauren. Steve, you were out in Ohio, and you're too young for my question. <laughs> but you just mentioned Adam Miller being the player of the year. Mm-hmm. And after last week's show, that was a great show, reminiscing about Harv Schmidt and everything. So being sheltered in, I started Googling a lot of stuff. And I was asking Lauren, who was the player of the year in 1962 when you had Cassie Russell – Kenny Barnes and Don Freeman, all seniors. Who was? I, I don't, don't know. I, I no, I don't know. I, I assume it was Cassie. Cassie was rated higher than Don Freeman, and oh, I think so. And I think in high school, Cassie was. I, I, I imagine. I would think so too. I was pitching up north one day, and he walked up to the plate. Cassie did. Yeah, I pitched. I pitched against him. <laughs> That's the truth. Cassie Russell. What did he do? Oh, I don't remember. I have no idea what he did. I just remember thinking that, boy, he had a big strike zone. <laughs> <laughs> I like those guys with big strike zones. You get more strikes that way. 
Then I had the question, though, and this is a name for you, Lauren. Have you heard of Pete Cunningham? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Hi. Now, that name did, didn't ring a bell with me. Oh, when yeah. I was Googling the 62 team, I came across Pete, and he scored more points than Cassie Russell at Carver High School. Oh, he was a he was an amazing scorer, and he I think he came to Illinois. I think Dave Downey can tell you. I think he's one of the guys that flunked out here. I may be wrong well, that, on that, but I think that's what happened. Well, that led me to the next quote in the IHSA website that Pete Cunningham came to Illinois and he flunked out after his first semester. You, oh, okay. So you looked Ken that up? Maxey, then Ken Maxey, who was on that Carver team, said that him and Kazzy Russell were going to go to Michigan because you couldn't trust them to protect the blacks in Illinois. That's exactly right. Because, And I had never read that quote before. Oh, th- this is absolutely true. That was a time when you could you could get in Michigan. They had a way. They, they had an athletic director there that uh, had a way of getting people in, and 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 he, they they would be in his class. I mean, they were gonna they were gonna make it. They just outsmarted Illinois uh, in that era, and it started a tradition. And, and there were a lo- there was a long period of time where where guys could get into Michigan. That you know, I'm talking about athletes. It's a tremendous school. I've, I've always made the point that it doesn't. The, the admission of a few athletes, five, six, seven athletes in the course of a year, doesn't hurt a great university. It's, it, Michigan is a great university anyway, but they had, a, they had this special way. They just wanted to win. And then this special way of getting people in, and they did. So by, the, last... by the way, they still do. <laughs> Go ahead. What was that, Lauren? I said, by the way, they still do. Oh, yeah, they still do. But I think Harv Schmidt and them had a hard time overcoming that stigma of the Chicago Black coming down to Illinois and not looking out for them. I think that's true. Yep. And then uh, that led to Harv's downfall, and he couldn't get a black. Now, I got one more question, then I'll hang up. And I got the Google from Harry Combs to Harv Schmidt to Gene Bartow through Lou Henson. I can only come up with three black assistant coaches on the Illinois basketball staff covering 35-plus years. There was Matt Frazier, mm-hmm. Tony Yates, mm-hmm. and Jimmy Collins. Is there anybody else? I don't know. I, I just, I've just i never thought of it that way, so I, I, I just don't know. I'd have to go back and look. I, You might be right. I, I just don't remember. Because I know Nat Frazier brought in Nick Weatherspoon and Connor, and... You know, then he left to go to Morgan uh, that's right. State. Yeah, he got and the head that's job. And then Chris Berryman, Billy Morris, and Alvin O'Neill left is when Nat, Nat left. Yeah. And yeah. I don't think Harv replaced Nat with a black assistant at that time. I can't. I just can't remember. You're probably right about that. Because I know Marshall Stoner came on staff, Dick mm-hmm. Campbell. Yeah. I don't know who well, else. Well, Dick was on there earlier. Yeah, Dick was on there all the time with Harv. Good stuff, Steve. Thanks. Okay, appreciate you guys. Good show. Thank you. Let's go to Alan. Hey, Alan, you're on the air. Go ahead. Morning, guys. Uh, That brought back some memories that last call did. Uh, I saw a couple articles in the newspaper that seems to be going to start a trend across college sports. I saw where the University of Cincinnati is dropping uh, 
soccer. But mm-hmm. they didn't say whether it was men's it's, or women. It's, it's men. men's. And, oh, it's men's. Oh, yeah. okay. I was going to say, if it's women's, how could they do that and get away with a Title Nine? Well, you'd that, have to know the you'd have to know the numbers, but but it was men. And okay. and by the way, there was a whole number, a bunch of commissioners that met, and and requested from the NCA the op, the option to be able to make some changes in the rules because of the uh, because of the virus. And one of those things would was give them the option to reduce the number of schools below sixteen, which you must have sixteen total uh, sports in order to be in the NCAA. And they're asking to be, in other words, they're asking to drop other sports. That hasn't happened yet, but that's what they're thinking, obviously. This is going to really hit schools hard financially, this, this virus. No, no, no spring sports, and now we don't know what's going to happen after this summer. Well, this dovetails in my next comment. I uh, saw where Louisville is going to. Make the basketball coach drop four hundred thousand off his salary, which he was already making four million. Don't feel too sorry for him. But the comment is, is like you say, I wonder if just the tip of the iceberg where each university is going to have to do certain things to make cuts. And I was wondering how they could lop off four hundred thousand if he's got a contract. You know. Oh well, the, the NBA is going to cut their uh, salaries in, uh, later in May. They're going to knock off twenty five percent on all. At, on all the member, on all squad members. I think most contracts have a catastrophic clause in there. Oh yeah, that uh, would allow them to do that. By the way, Alan, thanks for your call. We appreciate it. But uh, Josh Whitman's going to be on the station on Monday morning, I believe, in the nine o'clock hour with Brian Barnhart on uh, Penny for Your Thoughts. So he'll have some comments on on situations like that. I'm sure it's nine thirty-two. Need to take a break. We're going to talk more about college football with Adam Rittenberg when we come back. He is with ESPN.com. He's senior football writer. We'll take a break and be back with more after this. Nine thirty-five, 35 Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk with Lauren Tate. Steve Kelly with you until 11 o'clock. And the phone lines are open 356-9397. Happy to welcome back to the program Adam Rittenberg from ESPN.com. Good morning, Adam. How are you? Hey, good morning, guys. You're busy these days in kind of a different kind of way, as we all are in this uh, situation we're in. But don't know where to start in talking about college football, but uh, um, whether (laughs) it's going to be played, when it's going to be played, what are the key elements to getting it played. But uh, let's start with some of your research and what you found by talking to ADs and coaches as we look towards the fall. What's What's at the top of the agenda for for getting this done? Is getting students back on campus, I would guess, is a big part of that. Right. Yeah. There's a near consensus, guys, that you know you're not going to start preparing for a season or playing a season until campuses are reopened, and that could be at different times. As you know, states around the country have had different restrictions that have gone in, um, you know, at different times in the last you know a month or so, six weeks. Here in Illinois, we put in restrictions a little bit earlier than they have in other places now the the virus was more active here it seems than in other states as well so that's going to be the big indicator when do campuses reopen and then you can start to have these uh, teams uh, reassemble and then start preparing for the season you know the consensus 
that I hear are almost consensus from coaches is, you know, at least at least four weeks, ideally six weeks, eight weeks of run up time before you actually start playing games. And then there's the big question of how those games are gonna be played. Are they gonna be played in empty stadiums? They're gonna be played in somewhat full stadiums. Are they going to be pushed to the spring and played in potentially full stadiums? There's a lot of uncertainty there. But the other thing to remember is that most of these teams did not get uh, really any spring ball. So uh, not only have they not been on campus with their world-class strength and conditioning coaches and their nutritionists, but they have not had a spring practice. And so to just uh, reopen campus, bring everybody back together, and like in the old days, you have a month to get ready, you do a conditioning test, and then you start playing games. That's not realistic in this environment. Well, you just brought up something that I hadn't thought about. Do you, do you see, uh, for instance, the SEC coming back and playing and maybe a, a league up north not? Is that possible? Well, yeah, I think, Lauren, anything's possible. And that's what everyone, all the you know, fans out there like us who want to see these games played have to be open to all of these different outcomes. And I, I do think if it's a situation where, you know, some states or uh, some universities say, listen, we're just not reopening again, it's not safe to do it, you could have almost a, you know, I don't even know if it would be a sanctioned season, but the SEC could say, you know what, we're just going to play one another, we're going to play eight or nine games, I'll get a, a little bit of a kick out of the SEC playing more than eight games because they've been so resistant to doing that, but if they had no choice, maybe they would have to play each other for nine or ten games and there's your season. Um, I don't know if that would translate into any sort of championship, but at least you have college football. Um, but I, I think it's definitely going to be a question. I was talking to an, an athletic director in the Pac-12 uh, last week, and they were telling me, you know, listen, we have what we have so many states that are part of this conference, and they're not all going to be on the same timeline. Yeah. And so if college football, as we typically consume it, uh, if, if that's the case, we have to have everybody on the same date saying, okay, now you can start practicing. Otherwise, as you know, there would be uh, huge, uh, huge advantages for certain teams depending on where they are. So, yeah, it, there are so many different options here, um, including, like you said, Lauren, uh, you know, maybe one league saying, okay, uh, I, I re- we, we realize this is not going to be a national season because some schools are still shut down, but everybody in our conference is good to go, and so we're going to play games. Would one of those options, Adam, be playing football next spring? Yeah, that's very much an option, um, you know, because, uh, you know, I mean, I think you guys have probably heard Governor Pritzker here in Illinois saying that you know, he doesn't expect large gatherings to take place until uh, there's a vaccine. I don't know if that's a, a little bit of an extreme view, but um, if, 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 if there are restrictions towards large gatherings, I know there's certainly some opposition in the college sports community to having these games in empty stadiums. And so you know, if the spring provides a better opportunity to at least have uh, you know, real crowds or some crowd to watch these these games, um, even though it would be very unusual, uh, you know, to have these uh, ha- have have football season in the spring. When do you start it? Um, what's the weather like? You know, in places like Minnesota and Wisconsin, even here in Chicago, uh, when do you end the season? And then the, the thing that I've been thinking a lot about, we, the, the the number one thing everyone keeps saying right now is health and safety, health and safety. How is it uh, healthy or safe? to have uh, college athletes essentially playing two football seasons in a 10-month span because that's what it would be. If you start in February and you end in November uh, or early December, I mean, that's a lot of football in a relatively short period of time. And, you know, if, if someone gets hurt in uh, in March or April, they could be missing that, that entire next season very easily depending on what the injury is or if there's have, they need surgery. So th- there's, there's, those are questions that I'm 
uh, asking as well as the you know the, the pay for play question. Can, can can you ask college athletes to play two full football seasons without some type of compensation? Or on the flip side, can you ask them to come back this year when there's obviously some risk out there and the virus won't be completely eliminated and, and, and tell them to play a season? So so th- those are other conversations. But 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 as far as next spring, I think it's something that is certainly being uh, considered as a you know last resort type thing. I want to flip you over to basketball a little bit because Jalen Green, uh, who, by the way, uh, uh, played a couple of games in Champaign this last year. I saw one of them, and he is a fabulous player. And they have now uh, – he's kind of signed a a contract with the NBA where he's going to be uh, on a G League team for $500,000 this year. What's this mean to college basketball to see this happening? Uh, what's What's the impact? I, to me, I think it just reinforces that there should be an option for you know a certain level of player to just go straight to the NBA. Um, and uh, you know he he had no you know real desire to be in college. I don't know if James Wiseman of Memphis really had much of a desire to be at the college level. They they want to play in the NBA. So why why should we uh, uh, force them to go to college for a year they don't really want to be there? Uh, and then you know so the, anyways, it's just another way around um, uh, the the the, the the, the the one year you know requirement right now so we'll see if more players end up doing that I don't know how many players are at that caliber uh, to to make that type of jump but um, it, it's certainly interesting and yeah I know there's a lot of uh, columns and things written this week about how to fix college basketball I thought there was an interesting one yesterday from Dan Wetzel of Yahoo is talking about maybe uh, the college basketball needs to go the the way of college hockey and and, and mm-hmm. create a little bit more flexibility for for uh, athletes. Uh, instead of uh, you know the way that Dan was arguing it, and I completely agree, it almost feels like college basketball does the NBA too many favors with its process of uh, of, of, of of around the draft. And so you know, college hockey basically says you know those guys play their seasons. If they get drafted, they have a period of time to decide whether they want to go play for that team. They have every right to come back to school. They can evaluate it after the fact, depending on where they're drafted. Uh, where the NBA you know, it makes it a little bit uh, tougher for these guys um, enforcing a decision before the draft. So uh, d- definitely a lot of ideas out there, but um, I-, I just don't see the need for somebody who no- doesn't want to be in college to come to college for one year and-, and not really have much of an experience and then obviously go on to play professionally. But, you know, uh, does how-, how much is are the colleges hurt by players like uh, – Green players like uh, LeBron, players like Kobe, who never played in college. I mean, it just seems like there's a certain obsession among the fans for their college, and there isn't any obsession that I see at all for G League teams, particularly one that isn't even like this will be an all star team. Basically, they won't even be in, in the league, they'll just be playing other teams in the league, right? They will, you know, and again, I, I just think, you know, if, 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 but if you don't care as much about that college experience and you just want to get the half a million dollars and, and then you'll be able to be in the NBA, I mean, that's, that's what I think some of these, uh, you know, they, they, they're doing that, that valuation on themselves and, and not really seeing the need to go play at the college level, even though that could raise their profile and they could get better as players. Um, they, they don't feel like they need it. And so it, it, when that's the case, what's the point? What, why would you force someone to come to college just to come to college and they don't want to be there. You, you want people who want to be at the college basketball level. And there's certainly a lot of great things, um, uh, you know, that happen in college basketball. There's great coaching. There's the NCAA tournament. There's the media and the exposure that you get at the college level, which to your point, you certainly won't get in the G League. 
but I think there's a certain number of players that don't really see much value in that. And so if that's the case, why, why are we you know, requiring them to come to college at all? Well, I, I agree with that. I, my point is that I just don't think colleges are hurt that much, regardless of how many players don't come. Because if Illinois is competitive, and Illinois doesn't get the top 10, 15 players anyway. I mean, when's Illinois going to get a top 20 player, you know, in, in, the, in, the, in the nation? And yet uh, we had a tremendous – we sold out the assembly hall, nearly 16,000 or roughly 16 yeah. for the last uh, – six of the last seven games. If, if Illinois is competitive – I'm just talking about Illinois, and I'm talking about all the Big Ten schools. They, their, their attendance, other than Northwestern, is is pretty good, uh, regardless, even if their players aren't what you would call future pros. Sure. No, and I would just say, and this is kind of what Dan wrote for yesterday, is that you know the, you're you're never going to have those level of players, right? But you can maybe keep some higher level players who would have that draft flexibility if you change the rules. If, mm-hmm. if basically you went yeah. to the hockey model and, and you know, let, let's just say Io, who I don't think this would apply to, but let's say Io doesn't get drafted where he wants to. And he talks to his agent, he talks to his family and decides, you know what, I, I can help myself with another year at Illinois. Uh, and then he comes back and he has that ability to do that uh, after the fact, after the draft. Now, it would certainly make it harder for the NBA team. But and this is sort of what Dan was arguing. Why, uh, why, why be so buddy buddy with the NBA? The NBA is hurting your product. And so, you know, may, may create, create a system that, that you can at least preserve some of the talent, even though your high, high-level players coming out of high school are going to go straight to uh, earn professionally. You know, there's no reason in the world why any player who's, let's say, drafted low in the second round or isn't drafted can't come back and play in college. There's, that's silly. You just ought to let them come back. If they want to come back, why not? They haven't played. Yeah. You know, they've negotiated. They've tried to get into the uh, – NBA and it didn't work. I mean, why not allow them to come back? Last year, I think what were there? I forget the number now, and you probably know it. Uh, there were like uh, 80 players, 84 underclassmen in the draft for 60 spots, and only 40 of them were picked. 40 out of 84 that signed up, that declared, were picked. That means there were 44 who didn't. And that's a you know those guys are just out in the out, you know they got to find their way from there from that point. They can't come back to college and play. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I wish there was more flexibility overall. I know it's harder in football because a lot of the athletes who, uh, you know, get ready for the NBA draft are not in school for that final quarter or semester. And so it's you know, a little bit more difficult if they were to come back. But I'd love to see the ability for more college players who haven't, you know, graduated or finished their eligibility to be able to come back and play if things don't work out from a draft perspective. Because as you mentioned, Lauren, they often don't for underclassmen. There's a lot of bad decisions that are made every year in those two high-profile sports. That's Adam Rittenberg from ESPN.com, senior writer. We appreciate your time, Adam. Always good to catch up with you. All right, guys. Thanks for having me on. Stay safe. Hope you and your families are doing all right. Great stuff, Adam. Thank you. You as well. Thanks. 948, we'll take a timeout. Be back with more. Line Pella Saturday Sports Talk. We'll have an open line for you coming up after this. Nine fifty one, Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk with Lauren Tate, Steve Kelly with you until eleven o'clock today. We do have the phone line open three five six nine three nine seven. Got a little open segment right now if you'd like to join us to talk about anything that might be on your mind. The 
transfer portal for basketball. I see has gone above the 700. 700 out of 350 schools. That's two per school. <laughs> and Illinois is right on that number. They got yep. two that went to the portal. That's right. And Illinois is looking at the portal, too, to see what uh, might need to be done there. We told you about Adam Miller being named Mr. Basketball in the State by the Tribune. And he'll be the News Gazette Player of the Year when that's officially announced tomorrow. And no, he is not to our uh, knowledge signed that letter of intent yet. Everybody asks every day. That's like a daily question. Has, has he signed it yet? And uh, no, he has not. No, he hadn't, but I think he's going to. I think there's a lot of concern. A lot of people think that he's waiting for Io, that, uh, you know, he's waiting to see if Io turns pro and Io turns pro, then he'll sign. But I think he'll sign anyway. The problem would be, if you're him and you're looking at the Illinois situation, you want to walk in and play, okay? You don't know anything about Hutcherson or, or Grandison. You don't know how, anything about those guys. They both might be better than he is. We don't know. But he's looking at a situation where Curbelo's going to be your point guard, Frazier's going to be a wing. If Iowa comes back, he's going to be in there. Where does Miller fit? Now, he has to think about that. I mean, if he doesn't think about it, somebody remind him, right? Yeah. Somebody from Michigan will remind him. <laughs> and Michigan is really looking for, for talent badly because, as I said uh, earlier, Livers is gone. Castleman's gone. Uh, they, their best recruit has, has just uh, decided he's going to go to the G League. DeJulius went to Cincinnati. Juli- yeah, DeJulius, he's transferred to Cincinnati. So that's, they're hurt. They need some players. They need a guard. And they need, they need several things to play next year. And they'll get them because, Steve, before it's all over, there will be over 1,000 guys in that transfer. Wait till, wait till May 20 when they declare all those guys eligible immediately. If you missed it, uh, the Ohio State uh, transfer, D.J. Carton, is going to Marquette. Yeah. A lot of people thought he might go to Iowa. Mm-hmm. But uh, he is going to Marquette. Marquette seems to be loading up. He's from Iowa, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. So we'll see how that plays out. And uh, if you, you missed us, you, Steve, you can't keep track of everything. There's, when you got seven hundred guys, how, how do you keep track of all these guys? They're going, you know, they're just transferring all over the place. If you missed it off the top, uh, Luke Goody has uh, committed verbally to the University of Illinois. He's got another year of high school basketball over in Indiana, in uh, what did I say he was from Fort Wayne, mm-hmm. and. Uh, that's practically in Ohio. That's, uh, it is. <laughs> in that Jim Rosso territory? Yeah, it is. He's been there, yes. So Goody is a sharpshooter, 6'6", averaged 18 points a ball game. He is committed to uh, the U of I. Kendrick Nunn made first team All-NBA All-Rookie team. Isn't that something? After, uh, you know, paying but, his dues, so to speak. That's right. He had that good year at Oakland, and he worked his way up, and now he's in the, in the bigs. So he's had a good year. He's averaging... 15, 16, 17 points a ball game in his rookie year down in Miami if they ever get going again. What do you think is going to happen with that and, and how, it, how it's going to affect the draft? That's another thing in the, in the whole big picture. You're asking the impossible question. You know, you Io know? and Kofi at this moment have until June 3rd to take their name out. That's right. Will that date get changed? And if that date gets changed... Oh, Steve, they're going to change that date. Well, I understand, but when they do, that's a domino effect on what everybody else could do. Brad Underwood, every other coach, how do do they fill the roster? Everybody's wondering, what do they do next? You know, I don't don't want to tell you. And if the May 20 thing, you you factor the May 20 decision that that might allow 
everybody to be immediately eligible. All underclassmen can transfer and be immediately eligible anywhere they go. If that happens, that's free agency, and you, you, nobody will know who's going to be on anybody's team until that time. It sounded like more and more that's that seven might guys left Wichita State this yeah. year alone. Let's go back to the phones and say hey to Bill in Rantoul. What do you say, Bill? Good morning. Can you imagine if Major League Baseball did that? You could just go anywhere you wanted any time. Boy, it'd be crazy. I sounded bad. Oh, I think I'm about like college basketball, especially. I don't see why anybody has to declare eligible for the age. Just make everybody eligible. You know, you don't have to declare. Uh, the Italian League can come in if they want to draft a player. The NBA wants to draft a player. They can get a hold of the player. I mean, I don't see why. If they're, they're losing this so, so much anyway. I think it would just take away a lot of paperwork and a lot of complications. Just make everybody eligible. Well, it's, uh, they're going to be pretty close to that if, if we get that free agency, but you're, you know, I, I don't, I don't know what to say. Uh, it's just, uh, it's, it's not something that I particularly enjoy, because it, I heard Shashevsky say this the other day. He says, you know, we don't have relationships anymore. He doesn't. He's speaking from his own standpoint. When he's got guys that come in and stay one year and leave, he doesn't develop any great relationship with them. And you know what? Can't coach them like he used to. I mean, you just got them for a brief time. Right. And they're going to play the way they're going to play because they got here playing that way, and they're not going to, you know, as far as being part of that system, it's not the same. It's, it's, it, he, I don't think he's happy about it, but he's caught in a situation where he has to go forward this way. I mean, he's getting the best players, but he only has them for a brief time. You know, Pritzker saying we have to have a, vac- a vaccine. Over 50% of the flu strains out there right now, there's not a vaccine for our our flu shots are only effective for like 40, 45%. There's always going to be the next flu. I mean, the, to me, the uh, the next big disease we're going to see in this country is hypochondria. <laughs> I mean, when are we going to get back to where we can where we can uh, sit next to each other, you know, at a ball game and enjoy ourselves? You know, when when can I go visit my family? I mean, this is getting ridiculous. I mean, flus are always going to be around. They have been for millennia, and they can, will continue to be here. Yeah, this is this is taking an awful lot of lives though. When you go over thirty thousand already, and and it isn't slowing down, is it? I mean, <laughs> we're driving oh, yeah. at a pretty yeah. heavy rate. I mean, it's well, kind of leveled yeah, off. People but, got sick. It's huh? leveled off. I mean, thirty-six thousand or thirty thousand sounds like a lot, but I figured it out one time. The regular flu, I think, in two thousand eighteen, two thousand nineteen season, uh, Illinois is three point six percent of the population. And that figures out to if you just went by that, <clears throat> Illinois would have had a hundred one or one point five million cases of flu, regular flu that year. If uh, the flu season's five months, that's one hundred fifty days. Illinois' residents were catching the regular flu ten thousand a day for one hundred fifty days. Is that right? So this two three thousand is nothing. Well, don't say it's nothing. Don't say it's nothing. Nothing. I mean, well, not nothing, but I mean it's yeah. nothing. I mean, social distancing, I think it's a good idea during, you know, flu season. You know, we don't share the peace in church during the flu season, just common sense. But uh, let's say uh, it's a little more contagious, it's a little worse, but it's not worth shutting down your whole nation for. You know, uh, Florida didn't. They were the last ones to shut down. They got probably the most elderly people in the country, and their rates are no worse than anywhere else. So. 
Okay. All right, Bill. We appreciate the call. Thanks. I know the feeling. Hey. <laughs> you know the feeling? Well, I know. I know. Yeah. I mean, I, we all know the feeling. Everybody's staying home. I mean, sure. it's it's it's, uh, it's it's having an impact it on does. everybody. It really does. There'll be a lot of grouchy people <laughs> when they do come out, right? And there are going to be a lot of hesitant people going to games and sitting next to somebody that they don't know. That's right. I mean, that's the scary part. I mean, how when do, how long will it take for the fans? You're not going to get the fans back till you got a vaccine. That's a, that's a fact. And and I think that as far as this fall is concerned, I'd, I'd be okay with a football season that mainly was for television, I guess. And I think the pros are thinking that way. The problem with it, with colleges is, unlike the pros, they got students. Right. And and uh, I don't think that I think it's pretty well been established uh, as I listen to everybody talk that you're not going to have football if you don't have students. We'll talk more about this and other items of the day coming up in hour number two. Will Leach will join us in just a moment. It's 10 o'clock now. WDWS Champaign-Urbana back with hour number two of Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk after this. It's the second hour of Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. Join the program by calling 217-356-9397 or send a text to the Castle Heating and Cooling text line 217-351-5357. Here again are your hosts, Lauren Tate and Steve Kelly. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Shooting uh, towards 11 o'clock this morning here on Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. Hour number two. In that first hour, we spoke with uh, Rich Hyde, former Illinois baseball pitcher, about the passing this week of his dad, Dick Hyde, who was a major league baseball pitcher back with the Washington Senators back in the days, uh, the late 50s. Also, Adam Rittenberg joins us from ESPN.com to talk about uh, the situation in college athletics. Happy to kick off hour number two with Will Leach down in Georgia. Good morning, Will. How are you? Good morning, gentlemen. Thanks for having me, as always, and honor. We're uh, talking about uh, the resumption of sports, maybe, <laughs> knock on wood. <laughs> Baseball is talking about it. Golf has set some dates. Uh, how are you seeing things, and uh, what do you think will be back first, and and when, maybe? <laughs> yeah, I think uh, certainly setting some dates, I don't think baseball is quite ready for that uh, right. just yet. Uh, but uh, certainly I do think that, uh, you know, they're a long way away. I don't think there's any question about that. But I also think that there's nothing wrong with thinking about it and trying to discuss this. I think that there is value in it. Uh, I also do not think, however, that uh, baseball or any other uh, professional sport uh, can afford to be anything but 100% certain about this. And to the point to where it may end up cost, may, make you, may end up making it where they can't come back, which is to say, you know, the, these are huge billion-dollar corporations. Uh, not only that, but they have very complicated uh, collective bargaining agreements with their with their with their unions, and they have uh, uh, there are all the, the number of factors involved in the most basic things. Even if you were able to find some sort of biodome in Arizona with no fans, uh, there's a lot of variables that can go wrong. A lot of things you have to figure out. You've actually heard from a lot of players saying, I don't know, is it uh, okay with you if I maybe don't want to be sequestered in Arizona away from my family for four months? <laughs> I feel like I should have some autonomy and uh, being able to say what I want in that regard. There's a lot of questions uh, to, to, be, to be clear on uh, what they're going to do with this stuff. And there are hope possibilities. I think the NBA 
uh, NBA players seem to be more open to a uh, a kind of set off uh, situation, maybe in Las Vegas or maybe Orlando or places like that, where uh, I think they're more open to it. It's just because their season is almost over. They could kind of just start with the playoffs if they wanted to. They have a shorter amount of time to go. But uh, it, there's just so many questions. And, you know, as much as we all want sports back, I know that I do. I write about sports professionally. And therefore, we'd love to have sports to come back here pretty soon. Uh, I do think that a lot of this is just going to be based on where we are collectively. You know, uh, sports is going to what, – what's the line that, like, the we don't make the schedule, the virus makes the schedule? And I think in a lot of ways our reaction to the virus makes the schedule. And if we can, if we can get on top of that situation and continue – uh, for uh, doing the good work I think a lot of people have been doing so far, uh, maybe you can get there, but we got to get, uh, get through that part first. That's kind of a snapshot on the uh, professional scene, but on the collegiate scene, it's a whole other ballgame. You need to get students back, and I, I don't know when that's going to happen. You got any idea what, uh, what the future holds there? Yeah, college I think is a lot more complicated for many reasons, starting off with the fact that there is no single – there's no Rob Manfred of college sports. There's right. no Roger Goodell of college sports. There's no single person in charge, which, you know, I, it has been an issue for college sports and a lot of other reasons for a while, but certainly pops up as a difficult one here. And also, you know, it's interesting, you know, the, there was the uh, conversation that uh, a lot of the commissioners and uh, university presidents had with uh, Vice President Pence uh, last week, and there was an interesting piece of news, I thought, that came out of that. Not always... There's not always news that comes out of these meetings. And the, the fact that, uh, as uh, Andy Staples and uh, Stu Mandel mentioned in The Athletic, they seem to be very on the record saying we will not have games if students are not back on campus. That is – that's a statement. Like, that's a very clear thing. That seems obvious. <laughs> it seems weird that, that that's something that we should have to declare, that college football involving college students should involve students being on campus at college to play <laughs> it feels like weird that we have to say that so obviously but that that to me uh is both just and correct but boy it sure throws in a lot of wrinkles uh into the situation and, and, and starting with the fact that like because there's no one commissioner some states some schools may have their students back earlier than others and therefore might argue we might be more up for playing uh, than, than other schools and maybe certain states uh, say yep we're have where we feel comfortable uh, having students back but another state isn't comfortable with that this is one of the the uh, uh, either benefits or issues with the model of letting states figure this stuff out where if you do that you know not uh, uh, Illinois doesn't just play schools also in Illinois <laughs> and, and I think that you know that there's going to be some issues in that regard too and you know right now like you know most schools have have everything canceled to the end of the year are we certain everyone's going to be ready to go back to, in September? Is it possible or the only the national champion is Liberty because they're the only people that have students back? I mean, there's, I, I say that jokingly, but like you know, the idea that uh, that uh, to me the it's one thing for the for the NBA or for Major League Baseball to say, you know what, we're going to try to do something without fans in stands. Maybe that'll work, and maybe it won't. For a college to say. On the record, we are not playing football unless there are students on this campus. Well, uh, whether there will be students on campus in September, it's possible. I, I it's certainly, I would, you could make an argument it's even 50-50 or even maybe a little better than that to happen, but it is far from certain. Well, if there is not football, tell what you think will be the financial distress of, I mean, we're talking about three-fourths roughly, just a number I'm throwing out here, a heavy percentage of the income from 
all these different uh, universities in, in their sports is from football. What happens to all those mortgages they have and all those finances <laughs> that they must keep up with if they don't have football? Yeah, that is the danger, right, is the, the sports, the collective uh, that is college athletics, that needs uh, that is perhaps in the most difficult position to figure out how to get sports going is the one that needs it most desperately financially. I mean, you you know certainly if there is no baseball this year, and for the record, I think there's still a very real chance there will be baseball this year. But if there is no baseball this year, Major League Baseball will recover. It is a private company that has a lot has a bunch of people that make a lot of money off it, and then, and in a lot of ways they'd already kind of been storing up for the idea that they could they could lose the time for a labor issue anyway. Like they will survive. Uh, college is harder because again it's wide, it's wider ranging, it's more collective, and so much of their income, you know, a lot of this is the result. Forget just college is a result of kind of the sports bubble that's developed in the last few years, with because television money has become so powerful in large part because viewing habits have changed in America, and that we, we I can watch Break, Better Call Saul anytime that I want to, but if I want to watch Illinois football, I have to watch it appointment at the time that it's played at live and. Because of that, sports has become very powerful, for, uh, very important for television networks, and they've been able to charge a lot of money for it, all with the presumption that, like, well, yeah, but we'll have programming. There's no way we wouldn't have programming. And so to lose a year of that, for obviously, as you, as you say, for all the other sports that they're funding, I mean, there are a lot of universities that their bottom line is uh, boosted by this. Uh, it, it's, there is no uh, – of the NFL, of the NBA, of baseball, of all these professional sports, with the possible exception of the XFL, who already closed down, no one's more desperate to get back and get, the, get those games going than, than, than college football and, and college athletics. But, boy, I mean, it, the, the problem is, is, you know, the WWE can get desperate and say, you know what, we need money now, so we're going to put these games on because there's one guy in charge. There is no one guy in charge of college football, and I think that makes it that much more difficult to push something through before necessarily the time would be ready. Well, I, I think that this is going to be a major concern with, with the indebtedness that so many schools already have, and you've, you've got so many mortgages and so much. Illinois is one of those uh, tops in the country in indebted. I'm not the top. Cal Berkeley is, is the top school in terms of indebtedness, but I know that when – Josh Whitman arrived here four years ago. The indebtedness was around two hundred and sixty million. Two hundred and sixty million that they had mortgages on, I would say, and mm-hmm. it hasn't gotten any lower because he's gone into a a building spree and everything they build is, has got to have a mortgage on it uh, because they never get a total gift. You know, they never get a gift that takes a hundred percent of a building. So I, I just wonder what, in the long run, what what happens? Are we going to be losing a bunch of sports? Are we? How how are they going to make ends meet ultimately? How are they going to pay those mortgages? Yeah, I mean, listen, this is uh, this is of course an issue that's involving all of America and not just sports, but certainly well, know, that's when right. We add into the to, to a public university and 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 you know, I mean, listen, I have friends of mine who uh, who are very successful lawyers that uh, have been over leveraged for way too long and despite their big incomes they're getting nervous i mean clearly that this is the time where debt is a scary thing to hold too much of right now and i and and for the record you know the advantage that that uh, i think uh, that sports has is if once they do get going they will continue to be money makers i don't know about you but i'm going to watch every second of that jordan documentary <laughs> for the next two weeks 
because I'm so desperate for, to watch sports right now that I don't need to. Uh, so like, I was going to bring that up. <laughs> just imagine, yeah, yeah. just imagine how many people are going to watch that because it's uh, it's the only thing that's uh, semi live. It's not live, but it at least it's a documentary of of, of something that we've kind of let drift into the past, and now here here's coming at us. We're all watching, won't we? I need all the competition I can get. I, I think I watched wasps racing across my backyard yesterday, and they may have been mating, Lauren. Like, I'm not even sure exactly what was even going on. So, like, uh, like we're desperate for some sort of competition, no question. So, uh, and, and I think, and listen, you put a random spring training baseball game on right now. I've been watching the, the, uh, the Chinese baseball league, the Korean, excuse me, the Korean baseball league that's been playing right now. And I don't know who any of the players are, but it's electric. I love it. So yeah, clearly, you know, there, there's going to be an increased desire uh, for people to watch sports. I think, and I think it's one of the reasons you've heard a lot of public leaders on every side of the aisle kind of push to maybe be able to get this back and to get to figure out something. It's why I don't think I hear some people say, it's like, how could you even talk about sports at a time like this? So, like, listen, first of the record, I think people can chew gum and walk at the same time. I think you can be concerned about everything that's going on in the world and still miss sports. I don't think that makes you bad. And also see the value in sports uh, and, and, and trying to figure out some way to make this happen. But, yeah, it's anyone that's over-leveraged, it's a scary time. The, but, again, I there are lots of people that are over-leveraged that don't have existing massive contracts that eventually uh, and have something to sell the way that uh, the way the college sports have it's going to be scary and uh, we'll find out who has been tight and fit enough to make it through uh, what might be a rough period and listen you never know this the anyone that claims that they know what's going to happen that they know we're not going to play or that they know we're going to play or anything there they don't <laughs> nobody knows anything everyone is everyone is is being driven by the virus and, and, and our responses to it, and hopefully testing and tracing can get, can get moving on in a way that makes this possible. But uh, uh, So everyone's just sort of guessing, but it's, uh, it, it, certainly your mind can go to some scary places. You do some uh, work for um, and, and do some writing for golf. I think professional golf is easier in, in a lot of ways to, uh, to get back into action. Obviously, it's outside, and they don't have to – they can do it without fans – it's more of a TV event in a lot of cases anyway, so that might be the first thing we see come back. Would you agree with that? Uh, I think so. I think that – and also, I mean, there's less, less risk to the competitors, right? right like, I right. think that's a major part of this. Like, think of, think of when the NBA shut it down. There were, there were almost certainly – there was almost certainly someone in that arena that night that had the coronavirus that, – that, 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 that would have tested positive for the coronavirus. I don't know if they would have shut down the game. But when a player had it, <laughs> that's when you shut down the game. I think that, you know, I think that the, the, the nature of the sport certainly reflects this a little bit. And I think that uh, with basketball, I mean, clearly in, in close kind of cramped quarters, any individual sport, I think is going to have some sort of advantage in this regard, particularly one like golf that's so kind of spread out. Uh, there are early reports that the virus seems to be slowed by heat and sunlight. Again, we don't know, but that seems to be a, po- a potential po- positive for golf. And, uh, and, you know, for me, as someone who has, uh, I'm not, I, I am not a huge golf fan, but I like golf and certainly appreciate one of the great things about golf is I can watch it and I can also comfortably rest while watching it during <laughs> a time where sometimes it can be late at night and get a little scary. Uh, anything that's calming and resting on television is necessarily, uh, not necessarily a bad thing. Any reaction to the Jalen Green story about uh, him receiving $500,000 to 
play in what amounts to a special G League team next year? Yeah, I mean, you know, this is something that people have been kind of, this has been kind of a looming tower for college basketball for a while, that the G League became a more desirable destination uh, for players. It still feels like they're not they're not offering everybody five hundred thousand dollars no late next year like it still it still feels like that's a uh, kind of a special case kind of a canary in the coal mine to try to show people look this is a place that you can go uh and i and listen i i don't think anyone can blame him like i i don't think uh, you know to me this is something that college basketball we've talked about this before on the show lauren needs to address in one way, shape, or form. And I realize that becomes particularly difficult to do when you've just lost all the money that comes from an NCAA tournament. <laughs> like, clearly, it's a hard time to figure that out right now, to be sure. But, you know, I, I think that uh, uh, one thing I think is going to – I think college basketball is always going to have going for it. Because I think when people see stuff like this, they're like, oh, what does this mean for college basketball? And you know what? Maybe it means the top one or two or three, four or five guys – don't go play college basketball in here, and you don't get a Zion Williamson that often. Uh, maybe that's what it means. I don't know about you, but that's not going to make me watch college basketball any less. <laughs> like that is not uh, like that's not going to make me be like, oh well, I only watch this to scout for the NBA. Like not, I feel like most college basketball fans do not actually watch college basketball for that reason. So I think that there's an adjustment that'll have to be made. But I think ultimately, you know, I think good for the kid. And and I think college basketball is going to have to make some sort of changes in the future. But they, I don't know if this necessarily is indicative of that idea. I don't know if you're going to see um, uh, just a, all, the, all of a sudden the top 100 prospects are all leaving to go to, to the G League. I, I don't quite see that. Uh, uh, and frankly, you know, I mean, listen, there's money in the G League, but there are not fans in the G League. No. I've been to games in the G League, and it is it is. Uh, I would say that I have had a infinitely better time going to a random EIU game at Lance Gym than I ever, ever had at, the, at, at, a, at, a, at, a, uh, at a G League game. So uh, I, I think, and I think players, that matters. I think that matters to players uh, and it matters to people. And I think uh, if you're not one of those top guys that can get $500,000, I wonder if maybe you are still better off going to college. But I think it's a decision for every kid in their own circumstances. Hey, Will, good stuff. Always good to catch up with you. We appreciate your time this morning. Absolutely. Stay safe, guys, and uh, thanks for having me. You too. Thanks. Ten nineteen. Moving up on ten twenty here on Lionel Pillow Saturday Sports Talk. Eric is in Champagne's been hanging on. Go ahead, Eric. Hey, good morning, guys. Uh, I know I, I called last week. I was I was asking the same same question. It looks like it's been answered about playing games without uh, students on campus. So that, that seems like I think Will was saying it seems more more than obvious that that was the answer. But I mean, for someone to have to come out and actually say it, you know, we know. But um, I, I don't know if uh, you guys have mentioned the, you know, like all the salaries for the for coaches, particularly, like for example, like Lovey Smith, like the highest paid person in the entire state of Illinois, you know, system in, in the entire state, you know, because he's a state employee essentially. Uh, there's, there's no way he's going to get a full salary. There's no season there. I mean, along with all the other coaches that are on down the line. You know, because when you start talking about the university is probably going to, I'll bet you they end up doing furloughs and unpaid, you know, leave and all that kind of stuff. Like Arizona already initiated that yesterday. So, I mean, uh, the, University the cap, of Arizona did? Yes, yeah, they uh, initiated furloughs, to, uh, I think it was four, 13 to 30 days okay. uh, for how, this year. How many so, people? I don't know if it's the entire campus or not. I mean, but I know that their athletic director and all that took a cut. I just heard it on the radio yesterday. Okay. I, so miss, I, hadn't, I hadn't seen that. Yeah. 
yeah, when you see something like that happening, you can expect it to happen in other places. And as you would all know, Illinois is probably in the worst financial shape of all 50 states. <laughs> you know what I mean? If, if the federal government doesn't step in and you know, throw them a couple billion dollars. So I think yeah, the financial impact of this is the, is the real picture here. You know what I mean? It's going <laughs> so, to be before it's all over, if this continues, because Illinois, for instance, yeah. the University of Illinois Athletic Department has got $17 million in coaching salaries. Now, mm-hmm. how much of those would be cut if 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 you're not coaching? I mean, yeah. not that the coaches aren't doing something; they're all trying to keep the recruiting going, and they're all trying to stay in touch with their athletes. And I understand that, but boy, I don't know what you do. Uh, you gotta you gotta make a cut somewhere. I mean, they've got 360 employees. I would think right. that some of those employees are going to be on furlough. Absolutely, I I couldn't see it, and and uh, and one last thing is when you mentioned the uh, you know fans in the stands, I'll ask you personally, Lauren, do you want to go out there and, and be a guinea pig in a petri dish and see what happens? No, I don't think I, I don't so. think I do. I, I, <laughs> I think, don't think I'm, so either. I think I'm going to watch the games on TV. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I think I think me too. So uh, that answers our own question. I'm trying to that, I'm so, trying to stay six feet away from Kelly here. Did you measure this? This is exactly six feet, isn't it? Pretty close. <laughs> and, and the, are, are you guys in the new studio? By the way, I was thinking no, about that. No, we're still we're, we're still uptown right at the moment. Same old studio. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks a lot for the show, guys. I appreciate it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Eric. We appreciate the call. Ten twenty-two. Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk will continue after this. Ten twenty-five. Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk with Lauren Tate, Steve Kelly. With you until 11, the phone line's open, 356-9397. Back to the phones we go, and Alan in Champaign. Hey, Alan. Good morning, gentlemen. I thought that I would try and answer, at least for one person, Lauren's previous question of would the fans come back. And as for me, I would go back to a game tomorrow with forty or 50,000 fans, if they could get them, because I don't care. However, I would not go to New York City under any circumstances. <laughs> okay. I, I, that's fine. I, I, I don't know that everybody's going to feel that way. I'm sure the crowds will be down everywhere, but there will be plenty of people that will go back. I'm sure you're, you're just you're speaking for yourself, and, but you're not speaking for everybody. And who knows what, what everybody's going to do. I don't, I don't know. Uh, I think at a certain point I'd be willing to go back, but... Until they're, I mean, when they're, when it's in the current state that it's in, I wouldn't go back. I mean, I wouldn't go today. You're asking me what I would do in the fall. I that's another question, depending on what the what the numbers are at that time. I think the virus kind of tells us tells me what what I would do. Certainly, I mean, every day goes by and changes, and that's a long ways away. But when they're already talking about not having any sporting events till 2022. That starts to scare me. Yeah. It does. Alan, thanks for the call. We appreciate it. John, Thank you. Yeah, John in Champaign. You're with us. Go ahead, John. Uh, good morning, man. Uh, not particularly enjoying the show this morning, but I uh, not because of anything you're doing. It's because of what's happening that, uh, that's producing a lot of this. <laughs> I have had, uh, oh, I mentioned this, a few friends uh a few years ago when we were just on such a building splurge and I, I'm not blaming anybody for this because 
the way we are today, you keep up with you keep up with the guys you're trying to beat, or you might as well go home. But I've always been worried about no matter how many million dollars we get as as gifted to us, which is tremendous. But I was worried about the part that we were going to owe. How are were we going to be mortgaged to the hilt? And did we have any type of assurance or insurance against something, you know, against a huge catastrophe? And I, I, I know there's problems with personnel and paying personnel, but I'm more concerned right at the moment with who is going to own the buildings uh, that that we have paid so much for. And like I say, you mean in, in athletics? Or, or are you yeah. talking about oh, the university yeah. buildings? No, I'm talking about in athletics. Okay, well, the university owns them. <laughs> That's the answer. But if, if if the athletic department can't pay the mortgage, the university has to do it. Falls back on the university. Oh, okay. Well, these bonds uh, are university it, it, bonds. Okay that that would that would be then to uh, that would uh, relieve the athletic department from the debt. Well, but, yeah, uh, but yeah, that's right. But but not but not the university, huh? That's right. Well, that was my question. I I would have had no trouble uh, writing return on investment uh, policies or projects for any of those businesses. But when it comes to something catastrophic, I I, I was worried when we when we started collecting forty million a year from uh, Big Ten, then then forty five, then fifty. Uh, and then it even bothered me a little bit when our crowd started dropping in football. You know, what uh, what kind of assurance do we have uh, that that we don't just go, get wiped out? Well, you and know, f- one f- other football quote. just brought in six million dollars uh, in in a, in money from uh, from football season tickets, but they made thirty some thousand thirty some million from uh, TV money. From I'm just talking football only now. Uh, you mentioned yeah. fifty million. That's everything. But uh, football get, brings in thirty some million, uh, and I think it's thirty seven. So uh, you know, as long as that money kept coming, we're okay. We we can make all. But the problem that I always the the, the thing I worried about um, was that television might suddenly the television money might slip, and then over a thirty year mortgage, you don't know what's going to happen over thirty years. And every single mortgage, oh, okay. every mortgage they took out is thirty years. And in that period mm-hmm. of time, so many things could change on the television front that would change the income. I mean, I'm I'm unhappy well, about paying the amount of money I pay for television because so many channels I don't use. Why I'd rather just have, you know, pay individually for a few channels. And I was thinking maybe that might happen someday, but I could do that. I could do that, Lauren. If I but I'd have to hire myself an IT person. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Someone, someone to run it for me, but I had the same. Uh, well, I had the same worries. Is uh, uh, you, you see, and it, this started a few years ago, but all of a sudden people started doing exactly what you're talking about doing. Started cherry picking, and all of a sudden, what was if we were counting on getting uh, 50 million a year from Big Ten, and if we were getting it from the uh, TV providers, and all of a sudden they don't have that much because. Uh, they've 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 suffered a lot with the new programs, the Zulus and all these coming on, and I I could see our income going down. But if it's if it's uh, defaulted by the athletic department, 
and assumed by the U of I, at least we wouldn't be we wouldn't be wiped out. Taxpayer would be wiped out, which is us, you know. But uh, okay, well I I I was so happy when the, someone called in on this this morning uh, to get it started because I know that uh, I know that the athletic director is going to be on Monday, but I I wouldn't expected the tremendous amount of of conversation on it like we got from you guys this morning. And by the way, I think he's one heck of an athletic director. I'm not yeah. blaming him for it. It's just somebody's always building something to replace something that you're doing. Uh, you get something going good, and somebody says, I want part of that. So they start offering TV programs uh, that don't uh, have to buy all the stuff that they don't enjoy. So, all righty, I'll let you go. I appreciate it. Yep. Thanks for the call, John. 1032. More on Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk after this. Ten thirty-five, Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk with you until eleven o'clock. This is Steve Kelly along with Lauren Tate. Phone line is open three five six nine three nine seven. Our next guest. Newly named Illinois Hall of Famer Derry Carper joins us on the telephone from Texas, I presume. Good morning, Derek. How are you? I am wonderful, and yes, I am in Texas. The temperature here is about 59 degrees, and as soon as I uh, finish talking to you in the original LT, I'm going to sit on the patio <laughs> and relax for a little bit. Well, have you got any place to shoot baskets? Of course I did. <laughs> I don't shoot him no more. Those days are over. <laughs> bigger question, you got any place to play golf? <laughs> oh, man, I wish. Boy, do I wish. Well, Derek, let's uh, get your thoughts on uh, the word uh, last week or so about the, the Hall of Fame 2020 class and uh, how that made you feel when you got that call. I'm all excited. I, I said last week when I uh, talked to those Lauren and those guys last week, Excuse me, that it, it, it's just a real thought. I mean, when you start thinking about picking up a basketball for the first time, I don't think anybody that this happens to anticipates that. It's just not something that you can fathom. And when it happened, man, I was excited, just like anybody would be, I would think. I want to take you back to your recruitment and how you ended up in Illinois. A guy from Florida being recruited by some of the, the Blue Bloods, UCLA, North Carolina, but you, you kind of had a desire to play in the Big Ten. Take us back to that yeah. and how you ended up in Illinois. Um, Tony Yates. Spent a lot of time down in Florida, and Lauren knows Tony very well. Um, he, he did his due diligence. I mean, he was there. He was persistent, persistent, persistent. There was some thought from myself uh, that I might go to Michigan. At the time, Anthony Carter was there, and we were very close in high school. He went to high school in, in the Florida area as well. And I really considered going to Michigan. And then Johnny Orr abruptly, abruptly left the, the uh, University of Michigan, and that kind of put Illinois in the, in the driver's seat. Uh, again, you just mentioned I wanted to play in the Big Ten. Magic was there. Of course, uh, Isaiah Thomas. Just the big names, the household names that were new in the Big Ten kind of enticed me. To want to be a part of, just wanted to uh, to play against the best. Of course, Magic went on to uh, to do big things before I actually got a chance to play with him there. But just the thought of being in the Big Ten, being up in the Illinois area where basketball 
is king. I mean, Chicago basketball is great right around the corner or right around the areas, Indiana. You know, to me, basketball was was the thing in the Midwest at that particular time. And I just decided I wanted to go somewhere, one, I was going to play and uh, have the, the proper competition to go out and compete to get to that next level. Well, Derek, I, I just think about uh, basketball in Florida in your era, you know, until Billy Donovan came along and, I just wonder, uh, was basketball really big down there? Uh, what you was know, it? Go ahead. It, it was football, Lauren, and I think everybody knows that you know, between Texas and Florida, that's where, where football was king. Um, played a little football. That was my first love, actually. And um, I'll never forget getting practically knocked out <laughs> uh, playing football. I was a quarterback, and I, I that made my decision is, you know, not that I'm afraid of contact, but not that kind of contact. It's just I wouldn't cut out for it. And from there, I, I, you know, I always had the basketball with me anyway. I just tried to master the game of basketball, which you really never do. But uh, just tried to get as, as good as I could as a player, and uh, things worked out. Visiting with Derek Harper, former Illini basketball player, Hall of Famer now. Phone line is open, and we have a call from Urbana. Book. You're on the air with us. Go ahead. Hey, sweet D, what's going on? I don't know if you remember me. You and I were pretty good friends when you were here. Kevin Bookie's my name. Booker. And Booker. how you doing? I, I won't ever forget you, Book. How, how are you? I'm doing good. I just wanted to call and tell you I'm happy for you. I look forward to seeing you on the 18th, and I always wanted to thank you for you were always good to me when you got into the pros. I mean, I went to a lot of ball games around the country with you, and I just wanted to let you know that. I'm and uh, I remember good here. Yesterday, but you, you don't forget. You don't forget the experiences that we had, man. We've had a lot of good, yeah. good memories, a lot of dinners, and a lot of in-depth conversations. But so, you, well, I look. At, well, I look forward to seeing you on the 18th, day, and I'll, I'll just talk to you then. But I love you, okay? Sounds good. I love you as well. Okay. Man. All right. See you, bud. Bye, bye. Thanks, Kevin, for the call. Back to the phones. We've got a former teammate. Of Derek Harper with us, Quinn Richardson checking in. Quinn, how you doing? Oh, real good, Steve. Thank you. Good morning, and you know, hope everyone is staying well and and safe here. So uh, I'm doing great. Thank you. <laughs> what's going on, man? My man, Sweet D, Derek Harper. You know, I got to tell you guys, Harper. Just, just a phenomenal player. Just phenomenal. That goes without saying. And, and Steve, I got to tell you something that you probably don't know at heart. Whenever I've told Derek this, he said, oh, Quinn, come on, come on, Quinn. But it was when he first came down to Champaign, and it was a Sunday afternoon, I mean, a Sunday evening, I walked over to just shoot around at the IMPE building. And then Harper shows up about a half an hour later. Me and him, the only one in the gym, and uh, we start playing one-on-one. And you know I pride myself on my defense. <laughs> I went through his legs and spent, and I was like, "Where is he?" <laughs> hey, Quinn. Yeah. You, how many times did uh, did you did, were you left open when they put two men on Harper? Huh? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know he he was you know to be six four, quick as a cat. You know, just six four, handle the ball tough on defense. Uh, can shoot pass just just all around. So phenomenal player in person. Yep. 
And I thank you. Listen, let me say this one really quick, man. Yeah, I've had a lot of great teammates, and I mean high school, college, NBA. And I'm not making this up, but Quinn Richardson is my favorite teammate. Is that right? Because wow. I've never been around a guy with, with, with the kind of energy and genuine love that Quinn Richardson exhibits. And, um, man, and the, the, the crazy thing about it is that I've never, I also have never seen a guy, a black guy, no pun intended, that didn't like fried chicken. When <laughs> <laughs> did that? When we were in college, I'll never forget. I used to drive back to uh, Sheila and I, my ex-wife and I used to drive back to Chicago with Al, Quinn Richardson. And he would drop us off. And my, my father-in-law, the late Charles Sanders, would always have a meal prepared for me. Off of Quinn, fried chicken. He wanted nothing to do with it. <laughs> and to me, I thought that was the most unique and different thing that that that, that I've ever experienced. But uh, genuinely, my my favorite teammate. We've had a lot of memories oh, together. Hey, Derek, did you ever see a guy red shirt that didn't have to? You know, he didn't have to red shirt. He set out a year and then came back and had the year that he had his senior year. Wasn't that sensational? Absolutely. I tell you what, Quinn was underrated as a basketball player. The kid could play the game. And we had a deep team back then, especially when Greg and I got there. You know, Sherrod Arnold, Perry Reigns, I talked to him last week. Out. Um, yeah. There, there was some – Kevin Bontemps was on that team as well. But we, we used to battle, man, in practice. I'm telling you, it could go any way when you start talking about the starters and, and the, the uh, second team. We, we had a lot of wars in practice. Well, Quinn, uh, good to hear from you. Thanks for checking in. And, uh, it's, uh... Yeah, I'm going to call you. I love you. Hey, thanks. thanks, Derek. And, look, I just want to say, Harper, that was, man, thank you so much for that. I appreciate mm-hmm. hearing that. That just, you know, lifts me up. And uh, Lauren and, and Steve, thank you guys for being just great announcers and great supporters for Illinois sports. So uh, love you guys and take care. Thank you for Having me on the air, I appreciate it. You Thanks, bet. Quinn. Yeah, always good to talk to yeah. you, Quinn. Derek, before we let Thanks. you go, I want to get your thoughts on yeah. on playing yeah, for uh, Lou Henson. Your thoughts on Lou Henson? Love Lou. Actually, I uh, left a message last week with uh, Mary Lauren. Lauren. Yeah. I didn't I hadn't heard, I hadn't heard back, but I, I appreciate you getting that number to me. I did try to uh, touch base with him. But uh, Lou and I had a uh, very unique relationship. Coach Henson was a very fundamentally sound coach. And I, I uh, just thought I was good enough to do whatever it is that I wanted to do as a player my first uh, first year in the league. And uh, Coach Henson would always call me out on my turnovers, behind-the-back pass, passes, things of that nature. But um, kept me prepared. Um, Lou... He knew my game. He knew what I was capable of doing. If he didn't, he wouldn't have started me as a freshman. He really had a lot of trust in me and my ability, the confidence that I had as a player. And, you know, behind every great player, there's a coach that, that's had an impact on his career. And Luke certainly had one on my career. Well, I, I wanted to ask you uh, – I'm going to take you to the pro career, I guess. Uh, I, I thought you were the best defensive guard we ever had. And I think you Thank might you. still be, but – Tell me who is the toughest guy that you ever had to defend against in, in the NBA? Oh, 
man, by far, it's Michael Jordan. Um, there are a lot of guys, though. I mean, I, I could put Magic out there. I could put Isaiah out there. Did you always get them? I mean, would you always draw them, and that was that your assignment? Isaiah Magic, for sure. In fact, I used to always ask Magic to guard me because I had to guard him. It never <laughs> happened. It was Michael Cooper and Byron Scott back when we were playing the Lakers. But I'll tell you a guy uh, that, that can flat defend and gave me problems when he got to Illinois was Bruce Douglas. Mm-hmm. Bruce had hands, man. When I tell you, he worked his hands like none other. I mean, this, this guy could actually move his feet keep you in front of you in front of him you know you got a basket against Bruce Douglas back in the day man you you earned you earned that bucket no question about it hey Derek we appreciate your time we look forward to seeing you uh, back in town coming up in the fall look forward to it as well anytime you guys take care Lord hey thanks a lot Derek we appreciate it it's been a long time since we talked it's been fun thank I you All right. That's Derek Harper, everybody, newly member, a newly named member of the Illinois Hall of Fame. 1047, we'll take a break and be back with more after this here on DWS. <music> Moving up on 1050, Illinois Pella Saturday Sports Talk here with you on this April the 18th as we head towards 11 o'clock. Steve Kelly and Lauren Tate covered a lot of ground this morning, Mr. Tate. Really did. As we try to do each week, a lot, uh, a lot going on. One thing we didn't talk about, but everybody has heard about it, is of course, is Io DeSumo making it official by making his declaration uh, this week for the NBA draft. He has, at least in the current setup, he has until June 3rd, which that date may change, to pull out. Same for he and Kofi Coburn. Yeah, I've, I've felt all along that, and I, and I started to wonder uh, when we got closer to this uh, date uh, that he, whether he would declare or not. I thought all along he was going to declare. I think he always intended to declare. Uh, the problem that they all have is getting information. I was told that Kofi was going to get, Kofi Coburn, would probably get around four hours of feedback uh, on where his status is insofar as the draft is concerned. That's what they're all, that's what they're doing. That's what they would be doing right now. They'd be playing in games. They would be uh, showcasing their talents in different ways. They would be having in, uh, personal interviews and all that sort of thing. Uh, they can't do that now. And I don't, that's why I've said that I don't see much changing in terms of the, of, of the, of your evaluation for the draft. If you if you took the if you took the March Madness, you took the Big Ten tournament and March Madness and the summer workouts, you would see dramatic changes by some players insofar as the draft is concerned. You'd see big moves, but there aren't any moves. There was no Big Ten tournament. There was no you know there's no NCAA tournament. There was no nothing going on this summer. So how are how what information can 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 NBA teams get that they don't already have? Not much, so I, that's why I'm concerned about both Kofi. Uh, uh, Kofi's not ranked, uh, you know. I, I don't suppose he'll be drafted. Uh, He's not showing up in the first two rounds. Well, as, as I mentioned last uh, in the last hour, there were only 40 underclassmen taken last year among the 60 that went into the draft. 
So if there are only 40, he's not going to be among those 40. Now, uh, Io may be. Io may go in that second round. That's where it looks like he's going to go. But that, at the same time, if, if one team, let's say one team at the bottom of the first round decided, you know, and told Io, hey, we're go- if, you're, if you're still alive here, we'll take you there. If you're still on the board, we'll take you with the 37th pick or the 27th pick or rather. And uh, so that would, that would swing him over to go. But if he gets no information that he's going to go in the first round, it's really uh, questionable whether he should go. And with this G League development this week of a kind of a mm-hmm. all star team, all star team to take. They're not going to be in the league actually, and they're not going to pay everybody five hundred thousand. Oh no, no. But if somebody just didn't want to be in college. Maybe that's a way for them to, to go. Oh, it is. Yeah. Absolutely. And we had two guys that played in Australia right. this last year. So yeah. there's, there are players, there, there are good players that don't want to have to go to school. <laughs> I mean, there's no question they'd rather play in college. I mean, everybody would rather play where there are fans. Nobody wants to play where there aren't fans, and the G League doesn't have fans. I mean, they you can come out if you want to, but they just don't draw. But... Um, you know the op- the opportunity to play in college is huge. It's it there's there's so much pageantry, there's so much media coverage, everything. But you have to go to school, and there are just a lot of guys that'd rather not. We had this on earlier, but the voting for the Chicago Tribune Mister Basketball 2020, Adam Miller, uh, beat out uh, DJ Stewart by two points, two first place votes. So Matt, Adam Miller was first, D.J. Stewart second, Max Christie, a junior, out he's of Rolling a, Meadows. He's a good one. He was third, Rayshon Taylor, a senior out of Collinsville, fourth, and Bryce Hopkins, a junior out of Fenwick, was fifth. Yeah, I saw Hopkins play last year. He's a big, strong 6'5", 6'6", kid that plays all over the court. So Adam Miller becomes the, if he comes to Illinois, becomes the 13th player to come to Illinois as Illinois Mr. Basketball. Is that right? Can you tell me the first? Oh, my gosh. Edelman or Boudreaux? It doesn't, <laughs> doesn't go back that far. Okay, uh, okay. It only goes back to 1981. Okay. Who, who would, would that be uh, Ephraim or, or, or Bruce or Douglas? Bruce Douglas, okay. In order, Bruce Douglas, Nick Anderson. These, these are Illini guys. Mm-hmm. Bruce Douglas, Nick Anderson, Marcus Liberty in back-to-back years, sure. those two. Deion Thomas. Jerry G, Sergio McLean, Frank Williams, Brian Cook, those were all back-to-back-to-back. D. Brown, Brandon Paul, Jeremy Richmond, and Mark Smith. Okay. Who didn't stay long. Yeah. Jeremy Richmond didn't either. Yeah, no, that's right. We've had bad luck on those guys. Or at least those two anyway, but... uh, that's the Chicago Tribune's Mr. Basketball, the News Gazette All-State Player of the Year. will be Adam Miller. You can read about that tomorrow. We'll take uh, one final time out here and uh, be back with more on Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk after this. Welcome back to the show. I understand we've been off the air for a few minutes here on Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. We will have the entire podcast of the show at WDWS.com coming up in the next few minutes after we're done. If you missed uh, part of the Derek Harper interview, Quinn Richardson uh, called him. from Chicago, huh? Quinn does? Yeah. Yeah, we've had him on. Remember, we we had him on uh, about his grandson who ended oh, up. Oh, yeah, uh, I went to Michigan. No, Notre Dame. 
Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Got it wrong, huh? That's He's right. a receiver. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So, yeah, Quinn's uh, been a big fan of uh, Illinois sports over the years and this show over the years, and it was good to catch up with him. And he uh, had been listening. We didn't set that up. He just was listening and uh, heard Derek and uh, gave us a call. And it's good to hear from Derek Harper. He hasn't... Uh, he hasn't been out of sight, but he hasn't been on the radar. He's been busy. He's doing yep. uh, TV and radio work for the Dallas Mavericks. Had his um, number 12 jersey retired by the Mavericks. He played with four teams, the Mavericks, the Knicks, the Magic, and the Lakers. Well, he, for guys that didn't get to see him play, he was explosive. He, could, he was the closest guy going down the court to Iowa. I don't think I've ever seen – I don't think we've ever had a player – on the fast break, quite as good as Io. Harper would have been the next guy, and D would have been right in there too. But the difference was D didn't didn't have the the the, the length right. to to always score. I mean, they could you know they could block his shot sometimes. I mean, he's awfully fast, one man fast break. But uh, Derek uh, Derek was an extraordinary uh, guy going down on the break. He played 16 years in the NBA. Yeah. Right about the same. And he guarded the best player on the other team every time. Right. He played about the same number of years in the NBA as Kendall Gill. Those guys had good careers. I want to do a birthday shout out to one of our favorite guys. Okay. Fowler Cannell. Oh, boy. Is 96 years old today. He's going to make 100 ways going. He's going strong. He's the original Energizer Bunny, I think. Did you know I was told last night that he covered me in high school? Fowler Cannell. <laughs> With the uh, Danville Commercial News. Happy birthday, Fowler. I think he was a stringer for the News Gazette. That's great. Uh, Good to think about him. We see him at the uh, football games and basketball games. Happy birthday, Fowler Cannell. That's going to take care of it. Talk to you next week. All right, I'll be here. On WDWS Champaign-Urbana. Once again, if you missed uh, the uh, portion of the show there that wasn't on the air, go to WDWS.com coming up shortly. We'll have the entire show on the podcast. Have a good weekend, everybody. This is Steve Kelly for Lauren Tate. See ya.